This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, August 29th. I'm Mary Margaret Olihan, and today I'm speaking with Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who spent last week in court defending Missouri's law banning the mutilation of children. Attorney General Bailey, welcome to the Daily Signal. Thank you so much for having me on. So before we dive in, can you break down for us what does Missouri's law on transgender procedures for children entail? Yeah, it's Senate Bill 49 goes into effect this Monday, August 28th, today. Uh, this is a huge win in the fight for protection of children in the state of Missouri and a blueprint for other states to follow. But the bill includes several provisions. First of all, it prevents administration of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to, to children under 18. It also prevents referrals of children under 18 for irreversible dangerous surgeries that result in sterilization. And it prevents state tax dollars from being used for these kinds of procedures, as well as prohibiting uh, these procedures from occurring to the offender population of the Missouri Department of Corrections. So, again, huge win, sound policy and a blueprint for other states to follow. And you said this went into effect today, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, The law was passed by the General Assembly, signed into law by the governor and then was subject to legal challenge by Lambda Legal and the ACLU. And just last week, they, the plaintiffs asked for a preliminary injunction. We were in court defending the law. The judge denied the preliminary injunction and has allowed this law to take effect because of the hard work that we did in court. And just for our listeners who might not be aware, these groups that challenged the law were a bunch of LGBTQ groups, right? And they had, I believe there were three different plaintiffs who were parents of allegedly transgender children. Am I, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's radical left-wing activists that are more interested in the social ideology and the protection of children. And that's why it was so important to actually go to court, get an open court, and test their evidence. They're the plaintiff. They have a burden of proof. If they want to stop this law from going into effect, and by the way, when you've got two branches of government, the General Assembly and the, the governor saying this is constitutional, passing the bill and signing into law, that, that should be given deference. And, and luckily, this court did. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is about protecting ki- kids from sterilization. And I'm proud to live in a state where we're able to accomplish that objective. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I saw your tweet thread breaking down kind of what this week was like. Can you tell us a little more about some of the tactics that your opponents used to say that this law was, uh, you know, violating the rights of parents? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the plaintiffs raised challenges under the Missouri Equal Protection Clause in the Missouri Constitution. And what they ignored was the fact that that Equal Protection Clause at the state level is coextensive with and analyzed in the same way as the federal Equal Protection Clause. And 100 years of Equal Protection Clause jurisprudence is built around the premise that government can't discriminate based on immutable characteristics. And yet the plaintiffs think that gender is mutable. So their entire legal argument falls on its face. But it was important for us. Again, we didn't want to just submit affidavits or ask for a judgment on the pleadings. We want to go to court, put on evidence, make the plaintiff put on their evidence, and then test the veracity of that evidence through cross-examination. And so the quote-unquote experts for the plaintiffs who opine that it is uh, the state has no compelling interest in preventing this quote-unquote gender-affirming care, which, number one, I reject that this is health care at all. This is a left-wing social ideology masquerading as medicine. And we began to chip away at that and expose that in court through our cross-examination by getting the uh, experts on the other side to admit in open court under oath that their opinions were based on weak science and that they were ignoring the medical opinions coming out of Europe, uh, nations which had curtailed these procedures because they recognized how dangerous uh, and irreversible and negative the, the harmful consequences were on a generation of children. And some of these experts, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that they have like vested interest in this you know, so-called gender-affirming care, we reject that phrasing, but in this kind of ideology continuing and flourishing. 
Yeah, that's right. They have an ideological and, and financial stake and interest in this litigation and having it turn out their way. And that's why, uh, you know, we were able to fight back and, and demonstrate that through our questioning in court and why, again, a hearing on this matter was so important to, to be had. And, and ultimately, uh, we were able to succeed on that issue. Did you learn anything in particular? I'm curious because I think we're going to be seeing this a lot more. Did you learn anything in particular about the tactics that these type of groups are using in these types of situations? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, uh, before we embarked on this litigation, we were able to coordinate with like-minded state attorneys general from across the nation and learn what has worked in other places and, and things that other states wish they had done differently. And, and that, uh, that, that has helped us draw up a winning play here that we're going to pass on to the next state. I think there are other states that were holding off on legislation to see what would be upheld in court. And so, uh, and other state attorneys general who are, you know, just now formulating a litigation strategy to defend the bills that have been or will be passed. And so again, we're, we're proud to partner with other states are going to hand off a winning play to, to, other other states. And I'll point out too, not only is the national mood changing on this issue, in large part because of the efforts we're doing to take the fight to the enemy and expose this for what it is, shine the, the light of truth on these issues, call them what they are, which is nothing short of child sterilization, uh, gender mutilation. It's not gender affirming care. And, but, but also, the legal landscape is shifting. Just last Monday, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals also handed down an opinion saying that the state of Alabama had a compelling state interest in passing a similar statute. So we're, we're winning this fight, and it's important to keep fighting and pushing forward, not to give up one inch uh, of space in order to protect kids. And I think you said that your state could kind of be presenting this blueprint for other states to follow. Do you think there's been states that have been a little too cowardly to just actually get over the hump and put this kind of legislation out there that might be encouraged by what Missouri is doing? Yeah, I would hope that other states would be encouraged by the work we're doing and see the positive benefits of this and, and would, would do the same thing. I mean, I, I don't know why protecting kids should be a controversial issue. Uh, again, what we pointed out in court and why the court process was so important is that there, there is no science or medicine to back this up. There is zero FDA approvals for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones uh, to treat gender dysphoria. There are zero clinical assessments showing these kind of uh, interventions are safe or effective. And certainly we see European nations that, have, that are far to the left of America culturally that have curtailed this in the interest of protecting children uh, years ago. And I don't think history is going to look kindly on this. I mean, look at the 1940s and 50s where, quote unquote, leading scientific experts at the time thought that lobotomies were a safe and effective way of treating mental health conditions and were cutting out people's brains that, that presented mental health problems. And we look back in horror on that now as a, a morally abhorrent. And I think the same thing can, is going to be true about uh, this transgender issue. And just really quick, I'd like to also talk about the experts that you guys brought forth. I believe Chloe Cole was one of them. That's that's true. Yeah. Chloe Cole, also uh, uh, Jamie Reed, the whistleblower from the clinic here in, in St. Louis. I mean, that's significant. You've got number one, you've got victims of this system. And, and you know, we applaud their their uh, courage and uh, it takes, you know, are so thankful that they're willing to step forward in the name of protecting uh, future generations and explain the the turmoil that they've had in their lives, having been victims of this, this system and how, the, you know, at the end of the day, they're serving life sentences. Uh, Jamie Reed, the, the whistleblower who came forward from the clinic here in St. Louis, that was a, is a self-described progressive who volunteered to work at a pediatric transgender clinic because she believed in transgender rights. And what she saw crossed the line and was too much and was morally abhorrent. And she made accusations of child abuse. She swore out an affidavit back in February that launched our investigation in this matter and really prompted the General Assembly to act and, and, and ultimately enact the bill that we're now defending in court. But, you know, she was willing to come forward and testify at this trial and undergo cross-examination, which lends credibility to everything she said, which is exactly what I've been saying 
saying all along, but also uh, medical experts who say, hey, why are we treating this mental health condition differently than others? In no other context would we race to hormone treatments for people with mental health conditions. So why are we doing it in this right. instance, especially when there's no science or data to back that up? Right. Now, in this case of Jamie Reed, the whistleblower who, if our, our listeners aren't familiar, this is a whistleblower from a gender clinic in Missouri who blew the whistle on all this insanity that was going on in this gender clinic. I'm um, talking about children who are being rushed down the path to gender transition surgeries and hormones. Um, what's the status on the Missouri uh, Attorney General's office's investigation into all of that? Well, once she came forward, once Jamie Reed came forward with her allegations and was willing to swear under oath to their truth and veracity, you know, again, we took those very seriously. There's a lot of credibility there when you have someone who's probably ideologically opposed to most of the work that we do, but even she was willing to call this child abuse. Uh, we had to take that seriously. We launched the first of its kind in the nation, multi-agency investigation. We're going to leave no stone unturned. That investigation is ongoing. But I'll point out, you know, within the last week, the New York Post and New York Times have both independently corroborated some of the allegations that Jamie Reed is making. And if you look those articles up, I mean, they clearly demonstrate that what she was saying was true. And again, I think that points to the fact that when you go to open court and you shine the light of truth on this and you expose it for what it is, even the lamestream media can't hide from it. Right. No. And the New York Times must cover it if it becomes that big of a deal. And so I think that that probably was a huge win for you guys to have that covered in the New York Times of all places and that acknowledgement that this is happening. Um, did that feel good to see the New York Times actually covering this? Well, you know, I, 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 the whole purpose of so much of what we've done, again, is to expose the, the light of truth on this. You know, at the end of the day, it is it, it's a sad state of affairs that the, you know, the nadir of depravity of the left, that they would harm children in order to advance some right. um, social ideology. And, and, and so that's what we're up against. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is it, we've been saying all along that we have to give credibility to what Jamie Reed is saying, that anyone that's willing to come forward who is motivated on the other side of this issue, but even she's willing to call this uh, what it is, uh, that those allegations have to be taken seriously and are now corroborated in the public domain. And uh, last thing, just for our viewers who might, or our listeners that might not know who Chloe Cole is, she's a detransitioner who's become so courageous in speaking out about her story. Um, do you think that her sharing her witness, and I believe there's another detransitioner sharing her witness also uh, last week during these court proceedings, had any effect on the, the courtroom or the people that you were interacting with? Do you think that there'll be any outcome on a personal level from all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's moving testimony. Again, these are victims of a system. They were children when they were pushed down this assembly line towards sterilization and, and have survived that, but are serving life sentences with the trauma that it inflicted upon them and are standing up uh, you know, at extreme cost to themselves in order to stand for what's morally right here and, and expose uh, the the negative side of this and expose it for what it is. It's not healthcare. It's, it's child sterilization. And so, uh, you know, their courage, their bravery, their willingness to put their name on the line and come forward to protect future children is really inspiring. And I think it is moving. And I think the court was moved by it. I know that the audience uh, in open court was moved by it. And again, it's hard for the media to hide from it. To keep calling it gender affirming care when they have to look the victims in the face and acknowledge what happened to them. It's very powerful. Well, thank you so much for everything you're doing, and thank you for joining us today. We so appreciate hearing about what's going on in Missouri, and we're definitely keeping tabs on what happens next. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Look forward to talking again soon. And that'll do for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't gotten a chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts. And help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read all your feedback. 
Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. And we'll be back with you all at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.